check one. Stuff yeah. is in the back. The backpack is, is um, previous handouts. If you did here. not get them, the good? front um, of the table today, um, lesson three, and then a couple of handouts for lesson three that we'll be going through. Um, last week, for, for folks who were not here, we, we, we focused really, you know, I would say the, the theme of week number one is really we're not, we're not about parenting to, quote, unquote, change behavior. Um, behavior ultimately, as Tripp says, is not the focus. The, the, matter, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Um, and, and behavior naturally follows because, as, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, good things come forth from the good stored up within us and evil from the evil stored up within us. And so his point being that it's here that things start and things out, grow out from where we are heart-wise. Uh, so we talked about that in Lesson 1. Lesson 2, we talked about first things first, the marriage relationship. We talked about authority. And then we spent the last a few minutes talking about motivations or aiming the child at the target, and the target being a target of, of godliness. And um, we said a lot of times, you know, that, that word is not necessarily well understood. You know, godliness, we think, well, you know, is, is if you're not godly, does that mean you're an atheist? And the answer is no, that might be godlessness, but godliness or the absence of godliness is is when we just simply do not have God in our story. When we go day after day thinking of God maybe for a couple of minutes, but he's not part of our world, so to speak. Um, and so godliness we defined as living our everyday life in constant thought of God, his will, his glory, and our dependence on him. And that's what we're pointing our children to. Ultimately, of course, we're seeking them to be believers, but more than simply believers, we're pointing them to a constant fellowship and communion and relationship that is organic, that's living, that's dynamic, where God is part of the story, where he's involved in every aspect of the story, where we're constantly in prayer, we're constantly considering what would God have me do, what would bring glory to God, how can I be dependent upon him in these circumstances. That's, a, that's the, the target, in my opinion, that, that we're trying to point the children to. So we, we talked about that, and today I want to talk um, about, um, in, in large part, learning to study our children. Um, so the overview, uh, you can see, will go till about 9.50. Um, any questions that we have by way of review, we can, we can talk about. Then I want to get into the material, which is learning to study your children, and then a, a couple of charts on what drives you and what drives them, and then we'll try as close as possible at 9.50 to, to open up the, the conversation and discussion. Um, before we get started, any, any questions or comments on the course so far? Anything we need to cover? catch up on. Okay, let's pray and we'll, we'll get going. Lord, we thank you because each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you because our children are fear, fearfully and wonderfully made. And um, we're individually made. Uh, there are similarities, but there is no one exactly like each one of them. We pray, Lord, that as we begin to investigate and learn and think about what it is that you have for us um, as we steward our children, as we shepherd them, that uh, you, will, um, you will open our eyes, give us wisdom, allow us to be able to understand their heartbeat, allow us to be able to communicate with them and to relate to them in a way, Lord, that ultimately brings you glory. And we pray, Lord, that, that a few of these things that we talk about today will resonate and stick with us that we might be able to be better parents for it 
and glorify you through it. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, the next chart, kind of our intro um, prayer, Psalm 139, 13 to 16, familiar to probably most everybody. Um, you, Lord, created our, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. The message, of course, being that we were uniquely created by God and ultimately uniquely known by God, um, by a God who knows us. And um, I would submit that as parents, um, obviously we don't know our children as well as God knows, but one of our missions is um, to do what I call studying our children, to study our children so that we can be um, like our Heavenly Father in a sense. Remember, ultimately, our uh, charter as parents is to father as our fathers, as our Heavenly Father fathers, to parent as our Heavenly Father uh, parents. And so um, we, um, we and go to the next chart, do not study our children um, ultimately to make them idols in our lives. You've kind of seen that sometimes, how parents can make children the center of the existence, the, the, the idols in their lives. Um, that's not the reason that we study. Um, that's not the reason that we focus on our children. What we do, uh, I would submit, study our children for is to learn a path of connection, a unique path of connection, each one of our children being fearfully and wonderfully made, there is a path of connection which best enables us to be able to, as best as we can as parents, aim them at the target of godliness and help them develop in character and in giftedness. That's the reason why I believe we study our children. Um, we can study our children for wrong reasons, but I think we can study our children for right reasons, and ultimately it's to point the child at the target, to continue to look at that bullseye that we talked about last week, to continue to try and reinforce within them um, godliness uh, as they as they journey and as they grow and mature. Um, next chart is uh, some key areas of study. Now, what I do want to say right off the bat is I've put together a laundry list of stuff. Um, some of you may be familiar with some of it or all of it. Um, please do not walk away with the feeling of being overwhelmed. We're going to talk about different kinds of ways in which we can um, take away uh, different, uh, you know, things on learning styles, on talents, giftedness, love languages. And it could be easy to be overwhelmed and say, oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, I haven't had this survey, or I haven't done the love language course, or I haven't, you know, and, and that's not the objective at all. The objective is just simply to provide you with some insights and tools that may be uh, valuable to your toolbox. The core thing I'm trying to encourage folks to think about is take the time to study your children, to study them. Um, and some of these tools that I'm, I'm recommending may be ways in which we can study them in areas of personality, in areas of talent and giftedness, be that spiritual or otherwise, in learning styles and in love languages are a few areas. I think they're kind of core areas um, to focus on. So I will also caveat by saying these aren't gospel. Okay, I think there's a lot of good work that's been done out there by a lot of smart people, um, secular and Christian alike, 
under the category, if you're theological, of what I would call general revelation. Okay, it's not special revelation. It's not, you know, chapter and verse. I can find it in John chapter 17. What, I, what it is is behavioral analysis that's been done, um, which in some respects is helpful to us uh, in terms of being able to understand certain things and characteristics. It's not gospel. Uh, take it as far it is, as it is useful and allows us to be wise in terms of our parenting. Um, so the first area I'd like to talk a little bit about is an area of personalities, which is the next chart. Um, as you may be familiar, and probably some people in the room who are much more familiar than I, there's been a lot of work that's been done, particularly in the last century, but definitely um, in the last couple of years, in the area of personalities. And some of it, in my opinion, is, is very good. Now, let me, let me caveat right away. I've spent a lot of time caveating today. I want to caveat right away by saying we're not looking to do personality analysis to brand kids. Okay, we're not doing it so that, you know, we can say, well, you're a Myers-Briggs I, you know, and so that means you can't, you know, extrovert with other people and we'll just kind of label you in that, you know, that's not the reason why at all. Why we do the kinds of things that we do in terms of observing personalities and so forth is, is not to typecast the child. It's not to provide excuses for behavior when behavior is inconsistent with, with, with Scripture. It is simply to help our, us understand them and, in some respect, them understand themselves and to understand others around them, okay, differences, strengths, weaknesses. One of the big things that we do in our family is we encourage our children to point out specifically strengths of and things that they appreciate about their siblings. And we'll say, Chase, what do you value about Kale? What is it that you find? One thing that Kale is special about Kale that's, you know, that nobody else do, does as well. And Chase will say, you know, and, and we'll kind of go around. And it helps the children understand that, A, they're not the center of existence, and, B, what they may be very good at or something that their behavior pattern allows them to do very well um, Maybe something that's not as strong in their siblings, but most importantly, vice versa. Okay, and it's a complement, and it's a body, and it kind of gets back to the unity and the diversity of the body. So I've given you a handout. Um, it's Smalley's um, Personality Types out of one of Gary Smalley's books, The Key to Your Child's Heart. Um, these are some categories that he's put together in his research. Um, I gave this one to you because it's free. I didn't give Myers-Briggs to you or... Um, or insights discovery profile to you because those would cost me money. Um, but th this one, uh, you know, this one focuses specifically on certain categories of, of, of children. It deals with the strong-willed child. It deals with the peacemaker. It deals with the cheerleader, um, with um, the helper, and with the pusher. And those are five specific personality types which. Smalley has kind of come up with in his analysis of, of children and behavior patterns and some general characteristics that you can kind of take away for, from and look at in terms of how does this generally, you know, tie in with where my kids are. Now, again, no personality analysis is, fits all. There's no one thing that your child is just a strong-willed child or your child is just a pusher or your child is just a cheerleader. Um, it's not that wooden. It's not that rigid. But there are some helpful uh, characteristics that you can see and some areas and do's and don'ts and motivations. For example, um, strong-willed is an area that challenges, you know, probably all of us. All of us probably have one or more strong-willed children. 
Um, ours was number three. It was kind of weird. One turned out to me not so strong-willed. He's, um, you know, he's he's more in the, in the category of the peacemaker, but three is strong-willed. So how do we deal with you know the strong-willed child? Well, you know, our strong-willed child, when he gets stubborn, when he gets locked in, he believes he's always right. Nobody's going to tell him anything otherwise. He's right, okay? And you know, there's there's there is some perfectionism. Um, but the but the bottom line is he is ultimately extremely persistent, okay? So you know how do you motivate? Well, you need to take time, for example, with a strong-willed child, to help the strong-willed child basically come to the conclusion that you need to get them to come to. Now sometimes you need to take them head-on, but in my opinion, most of the time the head-on approach is not the wisest approach. It's, you've got to be wiser than the strong-willed child. The strong-willed child is ultimately asking the question, does my opinion matter? Okay, am I validated in my opinion? I need my opinion to matter. I need my, what, what I'm saying and what I'm thinking to matter. And they'll fight to the death for that to matter. Okay, so how do you basically take them and kind of coach them and guide them into arriving at a conclusion Okay, well, at the same time, not abrogating your authority. So you do need to take more time to explain things. Um, you do need to, you know, deal with the issue of their bluntness and understand that, you know, bluntness doesn't necessarily mean hatred or animosity, but it is something that's in them that really at the core is just shouting out that I need to make a difference. Okay, how do you guide them in that way? And usually the frontal attack mode with the strong-willed child will only, as the Bible says, exasperate them. I think when Paul commands us, fathers, do not exasperate your children, he was perhaps referencing back to, a, uh, you know, if you ever got the impression that Paul might have been a strong-willed child, he might have been, you know, if you read between the lines, he's kind of a strong-willed personality, and you can kind of imagine perhaps his father butting heads with him and exasperating him, and there's just this word of caution that just comes out to, to fathers, do not exasperate your children. Because a way of exasperating a strong-willed child is to go head-to-head -head with them over and over and over and over again. Okay, so do I mean, you know, acquiesce? Do I mean give up authority? No, none of that is what I'm saying. But you have to be wise about the way in which you approach it and many times validate them as you're basically coaching and leading them and reminding them biblically in, in the Proverbs, a wise man accepts correction. Okay, a chattering fool comes to ruin. A wise man accepts correction. A wise man accepts rebuke. We're doing this because we're trying to help you understand, okay, you know, and, and coach them and, if I will, take them from the side instead of taking them from one on, front on. So that might be an example of Smalley's recommendations in terms of what type of personalities your children might have and some of the do's and don'ts. Are they absolute? No. Um, there is some very good work in the secular community, in my opinion, again, not gospel, not special revelation. Um, I think the MTBI, or I'm sorry, MBTI, Myers-Briggs, most folks are probably familiar with that, has been some really good stuff. I mean, you know, frankly, there's just some real good general characterization that's been done. Um, you know, was it done, come, did it come from a Christian worldview? No. Carl Jung, to my knowledge, was not a Christian. Um, but... Um, good general observation of personality types. One that I'm familiar with recently that's just blows your mind is the Insights Discovery Profile. It's a color wheel. Um, for, for folks who may be familiar with it, it's that um, cool blue, fiery red, earth green one. I don't know if you've seen that. If you haven't, if you want to do personality 
for your company, for example, or something like that. And, I mean, I did it up at Darden, UVA Darden, and it was just amazing um, how insightful it was um, based on, you know, exposing things about you, things that you're very good at, things that you're very strong at, things that simply you don't do very well. Um, and <clears throat> I'm not encouraging you to go out and have Myers-Briggs done on your children or, you know, our insights discovery done on your children if you don't care to do that or whatever, but these are the kinds of things that will allow us to understand some behavior, some personality types, and maybe sometimes to give us some insights into um, their world. Because, frankly, many times we just come from a different world, and we need to a few guides to help us understand their perspective. And sometimes personality studies will help us do that. Um, next chart, again, reinforces what I, I hope I said earlier, which is the objective of studying personality types is, okay, not to, you know, put them in a box. It's not to make excuses for behavior. It is to help the child understand the world around them, understand how we um, may relate to that child, understand how he may relate differently to others. Um, and so, for example, when we understand, if we were, for example, to at least, and you don't have to test them, by the way, Myers-Briggs, you could look at the 16 if you're familiar with that, and you can kind of just look at the output and you can kind of say, oh, that's where Shane is or that's where Kale is or that's where Jimmy is or so forth. And it, you don't, it doesn't have to be that scientific. And you, and you can say, for example, if you're an MTBIJ, if you know what that means, judging, which means you, do, you like to make decisions, get to the chase, cut to the chase, quit screwing around, you know, let's get a decision, let's get it done, let's move on. If you're a Myers-Briggs J, for example, you'd be very gifted in decision-making, in problem-solving, okay? But you probably need to work on patience, okay? If you've ever worked with Js, high Js, they just aren't patient people, and I speak of, from personal experience. I'm a high J, and I am not a patient person, and I don't like screwing around. I don't like the P side, the perceiving, well, you know, should we do this or should we do that? Or, you know, you're like shopping for, for, um, for laundry detergent, and it's like, well, this, and then you put that and study this one. And J's just come up, and they just say, just make a decision. Just pull one off the shelf, and let's move on. Okay, Jays tend to be impatient people. Okay, so we Jays need to work on our patience. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. Patience is something that all people need to to, to focus on. But if you're a Jay, you may need to extra focus on patience. That's what these kinds of things will sometimes allow you to be able to see. Bounce the fruit of the spirit against the personality type and say, this is an area where you know you're going to be very good probably at this area. But you're probably going to need, we're going to need to pray about and focus on and think about, you know, these other areas that maybe don't come so, quote, unquote, naturally. Um, and we need these things to help us communicate and motivate the child. So this is just a very high-level brush, broad brush of things that you might investigate as parents, and there's plenty more out there. Um, questions on the personalities. Does this generally make sense? Okay. Let me hit talents and giftedness. Um, you know, this is just a, a huge area for us, right? Um, children may display and will display many facets of talents and giftedness, academic, musical, literary, athletic, okay? I mean, and nowadays in this society, it's just the sky's the limit, right? I mean, there's going to, somebody is more than happy to take a certain, if you think that 
Tommy might be a great banjo player. You know, all you have to probably look up 20 banjo. I'm just I'm pretending, you know, instructors who would be very happy to take Tommy and take your money and, you know, and so, I mean, you know, I mean, so it's just so open-ended compared to when some of us were kids. Um, so we really have to be wise with regard to this one. Um, and a couple of just recommendations I would make, um, encouragements. Um, I think that as children develop, they need to be encouraged to really seek God's direction in terms of pursuing their giftedness. Um, first, of, you know, when we're when they're young, they're not always going to see the giftedness, and it's our job as parents to kind of guide them and steward them and, and mentor them. But as they get older, there's going to be more autonomy and there's going to be more personal responsibility that goes along with that giftedness. And you have to ask the child, you know, Susie, I really want you to pray and ask the Lord what areas you really need to focus on and really hone your gifts. That may mean extra lessons. It may mean extra work. It may be an activity or an outlet here. But what is it that God really wants you to do with the things that you're good at? Okay. Now, we have to have some sense or some bearing of what it is that, you know, our children are, are good at doing. Um, those things generally fall out, but it's part of studying your children. For example, athletically, I'll just give you, you an example. And this was not so much an area of, of, of what he was good at, but actually an area that I thought, based on my experience, he would ultimately good, be good at and he needed to do. My firstborn... Um, I could see at a very early age was um, probably was built just like me physically, and I knew you know I was kind of a thin kid, developed late, um, fairly awkward, not real coordinated. Athletics didn't come naturally, at least early. And um, you know the the standard thing would have been throw him in the soccer program or whatever. But um, some wisdom that had been given to me, and I just thought about is is to get him into the martial arts. Um, it was an area that I thought would help develop his flexibility. It was an area where he was very goal-oriented. It was a thing that I thought that, that would just help him in terms of him getting his confidence. Because left to his, you know, the world, he might also be a kid who would get pushed around a little bit. You know, at least at, at home school, Cheryl would push him around. And so... Um, so we wanted to protect against that, and so and 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 so we got on. It was a bit of an experiment just to see how that would go, you know, as a, being a little bit unconventional than the normative sports, baseball, football, um, lacrosse, um, you know, uh, soccer, whatever. And um, we we didn't really know, but I did know that that there were certain things that I thought would come would would and 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 he's really taken to it. To him now, it is his single driver as he studies for his black belt test and in, in, or trains for his black belt test. In November, it is, he is very singularly focused in that area. It has been a huge part of his life. Um, um, we need to provide that kind of guidance, you know, and there is a little bit of trial and error. You're not always going to know. Kale, on the other hand, number two, piece of cake. The kid was always pinging off the walls. He could do the splits. He was standing on his hands. You know, I mean, it would have been a sin for me, us not to have put him in the gymnastics thing, you know, I mean, at least early on. So. You, you kind of watch, you know, do they, they're reading, they're, they're literary, they're music, and all that sort of thing. But here would be just, you know, it's kind of a, a duh in our society, right? We probably should do a good job of avoiding overwhelming the children with lessons and everything, you know. And some of us, we kind of feel guilty because we didn't get that when we were kids, and so we want to make sure that our kids get that, whatever that is, you know, this and that and that and that and that and that and that. 
And so you know how the game is played. Oh, well, you know, I mean, they probably ought to be good in music. Oh, so let's get them in a music. Oh, they probably, well, he seems to be good at speech, so we get him in speech. And oh, he seems to be good at this sport. And you get him in You know, I mean, and then you got burnout parents and burnout kids. And you just really have to pray for discernment in terms of a couple of focused areas that they can grow life lessons and ultimately perhaps use those things to the glory of God over the long haul. And as a rule, I just say, this is just my opinion, parents really ought to encourage their children's gift with an eye on something that can be a lifetime thing. Um, there are exceptions. Kale's gymnastics for me is an exception. He's not going to do gymnastics forever. But like I said, it was just so obvious that it was an area that would be good for him. But, you know, the martial arts thing with Chase, um, the, um, you know, the, the, the swimming thing with Kale, the music, those were things that we really s- sought to glorify God over the long haul. Okay, um, if we can get, if we can, if their interest is naturally piqued by things that are lifetime kinds of things, um, that can be a great thing. Now, does that mean there's not life lessons if you quit in sixth grade? Of course. You know, I mean, there are always life lessons in anything. So it's not an absolute rule. It's just kind of a thing, you know, is this something that really could take off and the kid could just enjoy playing piano, you know, looking out, you know, outside the bay window, when he's 80 years old, and it would just he would just love it, and it would, it would just be full of joy, and he'd bring joy to others, and it would be a way of him expressing glory to God. You know, that might be a wise investment if that's the way the, the kid is tuned. Um, I would also encourage children, parents, you know, and we all are susceptible to this, I think, to some degree, to be very careful about encouraging children toward our vicarious pleasures. You know what I mean by that? We really wished we could have been blah. You know, I wish I could have been in a rock band. So <clears throat> I really want my kid to be a drummer. Well, you know, is he, is he doing it because he's a natural, because that's something he's naturally inclined to or gifted or strong or has an interest in? Or is that just Lane's, you know, vicarious desire, right? So we kind of have to be careful and one way it's really kind of easy to see the vicarious one is you just watch the parents in sporting events, right? When, those, when, when somebody is, hopefully I'm not stepping on any toes, when somebody is swimming down the lane in the YMCA and the parent is screaming, push, 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 all the way down, running down the lane alongside, you know, there's something going on there. You know, that may not be so healthy with regard to the parent living out something that maybe, maybe really is not so much for the, for the child as much as it is for the parent. You know what I'm saying? So I think we have to be very careful with regard to why it is that we're encouraging our children in certain directions. Um, but we have to pray because they're going to have certain talents that we're going to want to hone. Um, they're going to have certain giftedness. The same next chart goes to spiritual giftedness. We really have to be tuned in to the way in which children's spiritual giftedness uh, line up and the way in which they approach spiritual things. Not all kids learn spiritually the same. It's just a fact of life. For whatever reason, our firstborn picks up on things very easily. Okay, he was the one, Vic, that when you interviewed and you told him that he gave you this exposition on how he became saved and gave you the, the treatise on Reformed theology, that's just Chase. 
you know, chase, and, and I'm not saying this in any way, this is honest to goodness, and I never encouraged it, and it's just frankly weird, studies with Calvin's commentaries every single morning. Okay, and I say, Chase, does that make sense to you? I never asked him to do it. Chase, does, this, does that read? Yeah, I do. I understand. I don't read it all. I understand piece parts. Every single morning, that's Chase. I promise you, Kale will probably never study with Calvin's commentaries. <laughs> it's not the way he's wired. Okay? It doesn't mean that he's not going to learn, but he's very concrete, not abstract, and he doesn't like you know, ethereal concepts. He wants something that he can really get his mind around very quickly and has tangible, you know, something that's, that's product, some, something there. That's how he's wired. That's how he thinks also spiritually. So for me to try to sit him down and get him into a bunch of abstract systematic theology is probably not doing a service for Kale. On the other hand, you know, Kale might be somebody who would be very hands-on in certain areas. Um, uh, and, and so you just have to tune yourself to the giftedness. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the spiritual gift list just in Romans, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Those are good lists. I'm talking about, is the kid naturally a very patient child? Is it, do they have something that they could go and they can hold the old lady's hand in the nursing home and it's just a natural patience, it's a natural outpouring, they just are so, they're very sensitive of heart. Okay, hone it. You know, on the other hand, um, you know, are they, are, are they natural decision makers, naturally strong in administration, naturally systematic, very, you know, you know, and they understand things and they can put things together, great systematizers? Hone it. Okay, develop it. But, you know, along the lines of under, helping them understand where their, bo- their strengths may fall within the body of Christ as they, as they grow and as they develop. Um, I think um, we should try to promote life lessons that show the value of the giftedness against the backdrop of others. As I mentioned earlier, it's incredibly important that we show that you may be very gifted in a certain area. And by the way, when you're gifted in an area, how do you evaluate everybody else in that area, right? If I'm a gifted musician, or you know, or if I'm gifted at, at, at um, uh, maybe speaking, what do I do? How do who do I evaluate? Other people based on music and speaking, right? We need to understand, and we need to teach our children that giftedness comes in many different forms, and it is all ultimately used in the diversity of the body of Christ to build the body up. Per Ephesians two, three, etc. And so, just because you're good at blah, doesn't mean that Joey isn't has no value because he's not. And that's an incredibly important lesson for children to understand. And so we need to understand, first of all, how you are blessed, how you are gifted, how you are, uh, but also how others complement what it is that you don't do so well, um, and how their weaknesses may be. For example, particularly with siblings, siblings' weakness may be their strength, and they just kind of have a way of making sure that everybody knows that or reminds them of that. We need to turn the tables and remind them that something that their sibling does very well is not necessarily something that they're so strong at. And they can learn and grow and develop from their sibling in an area of their weakness because the body complements itself. That's the way God created the body, the family and the body at large. So those are just themes, high-level themes on the spiritual giftedness thing. I'm not saying go put your kid in a spiritual giftedness seminar. I'm just saying... 
Look at the gifts. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. Look at things that the child naturally gravitates to, the way the child learns in, in Christian discipline, and, 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 and kind of hone in on those areas. Um, next, next chart is on learning styles. Questions on giftedness, by the way. I just keep talking. Got to find out what time it is. Um, learning styles. Those of you, um, some, those, of, well, some of you may have done a lot of uh, studying of learning styles. Maybe some of you have never studied learning styles. That's okay. The objective is just to kind of, you know, there, there has been a lot of recent work that's been done um, in categorizing the way in which children learn. An example is Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. You have that handout. Um, I won't, you know, bore you with all the details. You can kind of look at it and, and see. But he's got a number of different kinds of, of learning styles, bodily, kinesthetic, interpersonal, verbal, linguistic, logical, mathematical, et cetera. Is he right or wrong? You know, there's people who don't like the theory. There's people who say it, you know, genericizes intelligence, that you would have to have a separate IQ test for every type. That's not the point. The point is, is, is really to just, you know, it's not to develop some kind of relativistic view of academics. You know, all the kids have to take the SATs. All the kids in Florida schools have to take the FCATs. You know, that, that's not what it's about. It's about learning how our children learn best so that we can basically communicate and develop a child's understanding in a specific topic um, to help guide the child through fields that are very well-suited to their strengths. Um, some just pop right out at you. Others take a little bit more work. And so as, as you kind of study, and I'm sure everybody's thought about it a little bit, you, you'll say, are, are all your children, do they learn the same way? Is there anybody here who's all their children, except maybe a child of one or a parent of one, whose children learn the same way? They're all different, right? When you look at these categories, you know, are there kids who just have to touch something in order to learn it? They have to feel it. They have to make it. They have to create it. Roll with it, you know. They usually generally recommend, you know, shortening lesson times, but really focusing in, in that area. You know, are there people who just have to be in a group to learn? You know, they just do very well group learning as opposed to people like me who don't want to have anything to do with group learning. I want to go learn by myself and figure it all out by myself, and I don't like group projects, and, you know, I'm generally antisocial and all that stuff. Um, well, you know, there's something to that, but then we probably also ought to, on the inverse side, you know, encourage them to do a little bit of the group thing. So all this helps you do is kind of look at how your children learn and maybe some, some areas, some tips that kind of help will help them in terms of understanding um, um, and, and growing in terms of the way in which they learn. That's a very brief summary. Most familiar, folks somewhat familiar with this stuff? At least looked at visual, auditory, kinesthetic stuff, you know. If you've never done it before, um, it, it is worthwhile at least thinking about because you will see some patterns be, develop in terms of the way. And, and frankly, you know, I mean, why was it that the teacher thought that Einstein was an idiot? Because they did, right? The father had no place for Edison, right? Because clearly their way of thinking 
about the way in which the kid, what made a kid smart or not smart, was 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 skewed. It was it was too narrowly focused, and they didn't recognize the way in which those children might have learned or thought differently, and so they weren't able to adapt their 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 um, teaching style or their guidance to the way in which those children learned. And frankly, you know, personally, did them a great disservice. I think. Okay, so it's not relativistic, you know, well, you're smart in something. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how is it that they best can grasp the material? What tools can we use? Okay, the last one I want to talk about, and I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm going to stop at the love languages because I don't want to shortchange this what drives us, what drives them thing. So we'll, we'll, We'll pick that up next time. We have a little bit of extra time. But I, I do want to get through the love languages. Folks familiar with Chapman's stuff, his books? Okay, many of you are. And again, um, I've never seen anything that says this is absolutely, you know, 100%. These are the five and only five, and I can show it to you, you know, and I'll speak ex cathedra, and, you know, I mean, it's not, right? It's not. What it is is um, some good work, I think, that's been done in terms of understanding the way in which we um, both transmit and receive love. And since love is a big deal within the Christian community, love is probably something we ought to focus on with regard to our children. So if you've ever read one of Chapman's books, um, and he has it for, you know, uh, marriages, he has it for men, for women, for children, um, he categorizes these different languages of love in terms of, of five, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, quality time, and, and receiving gifts. And generally um, identifies that a person will exhibit a primary and secondary love language. Um, now, the next chart, and then we'll come back to the first one. Generally, the way in which we express love is the way in which we want love to be expressed to us. And um, I remember... The reason why this hit me very powerfully was I remember growing up, my parents at the time were not believers, and they really didn't have an extremely, what I would say, strong marriage. They stuck with it. Um, they just celebrated their 50th, but it was not a lovely, joyous time in our household a lot. And I remember conversations going like this. Read, my mom would say, you never tell us you love us. You never say I love you. You don't say, I love you, to the children. Irene, my dad, would say, I'm, show, I, I'm showing you that I love you by the things that I'm doing. I am sacrificing for you. I am working. Bah, 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 bah. So he would have been the guy who wrote, you know, love is never having to say, I love you. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that's right. In fact, it's not. Okay. We need to say, I love you, even if that's not our dominant love language. But... What occurred to me is what's going on right here in this little figure. Irene's transmitting at 96.5 megahertz, and Reed's receiving at 88.1. Okay, now that transmitter's going all the time, right? Radio station transmitter, it's going all the time. But if you ain't tuned to that, you ain't getting it. Okay, and vice versa. Irene's transmitting at 96.5, Reed's receiving at 88.1, and they are not communicating in the same language. Okay, because his love language is acts of service, clearly, without a doubt. And hers, amongst you know, at least one of her primary or secondary, would have been words of affirmation. 
she's an encourager. She liked, she has no problem verbalizing and communicating her appreciation and her love. Okay? He's just frankly not very good at that. And I don't know if there's any guys who can relate to that. You know? Well, the key is, and what Chapman points out, is, is that because the way we express love is usually the way we want love to be expressed to us, if we don't take the time to understand our loved one's language of love, we are not going to be communicating it the way in which they need it to be communicated and vice versa. Does that make sense? And so it takes some time for us to also understand exactly the way in which our children need to understand and to be loved. Um, For example, number three, our strong-willed child is also our touch child. Okay, He's very verbal and he's very... and, and, And so he says... Mom, it's touch time, right, which means he wants mom to, you know, to hold him, to kind of snuggle with him, to play with him. You know, he's getting a little old for the snuggling thing, but you know what I mean. I mean, he he needs physical touch. Physical touch, I would be very surprised if that's not Shane's primary love language. Okay, he is someone who touches and needs to be touched. Okay. Um, Conversely, um, Kale, our number two, uh, will constantly be saying, we need to be spending some family time. Can we do something as a family together? And that's what he'll say. Can we do something as a family together? Well, what is that pointing me to? Just looking at the list. Quality time? That's probably a good guess. To Kale, quality time is a big deal. For quality timers, you know, it's not just enough for people to be there, although being there is good. They need to be engaged. They need to be doing something as a family. Okay? Um, Words of affirmation, people who are natural encouragers, people who are naturally pointing out what it is. Oh, you, Mom, I, I really appreciate this about you, Mom. You know what? They would appreciate hearing Mom tell what Mom appreciates about them. That's how they receive love. They receive love in the same way in which they transmit it. Okay, so if mom is not necessarily a good encourager or dad is not necessarily a good encourager, they may be encouraging mom and dad and their love tank, as Chapman puts it, is getting drier and drier and drier and drier because they're not getting it back. Meanwhile, dad may be saying, I just built a cool fort for you. Well, building a cool fort for you is great if you're into acts of service or maybe receiving gifts. But if what you need to hear is, Johnny, you know what I really appreciate about you is that you are a hard worker. You take the trash out. You blah, 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 blah. If, you, if your love language is re, you know, words of affirmation, that's what you need to hear more than the fort. So we really have to hone in um, in, in, in that area. Um, and, and, and I would also say the, um, the receiving gifts thing, just as a point. Anybody have kids who just love to give you gifts? They're always making little things, or maybe now they're big things. They love to give you stuff. Chances are that what that's pointing to is, is that that's, you know, their love language is receiving gifts. So if they love to give you gifts, chances are they also love to hear, I love you by receiving them as well. So the, the natural question is, well, how do you discover your child's love language? Okay, next chart. First thing we, we need to understand is, Love languages can kind of change. They're not locked in stone. They're not wooden. They're not absolute. There's, you know, there may be one primary and one secondary, but I don't think that's some absolute rule we need to hold ourselves onto. It's just a theme. Um, 
But we should observe, as I've been pointing out, how your child expresses love to you. How do they say, I love you? When you feel loved by your child, what is it that they're usually doing? How are they communicating? Is it giving gifts? Is it taking out the trash? Is it working hard? Is it verbalizing? What, what is it? And that's usually a good pointer to the way in which they need to hear love or receive it. Observe the way in which your child expresses love to others. Maybe their siblings, maybe their friends, you know, maybe their, their, fam- their other family. Sit back. This is part of studying your child. Study the child. Observe how they're loving on other people. Listen to what your child requests the most. Okay? Kale, can we do something as a family? Shane, I need touch time. Okay, it's touch time, Mom. What are they asking for? Okay? Listen to your child's complaints. Now, I'm not encouraging child to be whiners. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when children will complain, there will be complaints. And when they complain, what are they complaining about? Mom, we don't ever blah, fill in the blank. Okay? Dad, we, you know, we never do this. Okay, well, that may be, maybe, not necessarily a pointer to what it is that they need in order to be able to get the tank filled up. Okay? The last chart, um, and then I'm going to stop, is that the objective of of studying the love language, again, is to help parents understand how to best communicate love to their children. Okay? Now, I want to communicate a couple of real foot-stomper things here. Um, We need to help children understand other people's love language. We need to help ourselves understand their love language. But it is very important that we just don't say, well, Joey's love language is acts of service, so all I'm ever going to do is acts of service to Joey. I don't ever have to tell him I love him. I don't ever have to do anything, spend any quality time. I'll just go out and say, Joey, you know, I cleaned your room for you, or I'm just making stuff up, or Joey, I, I made you, you know, this, and, and I did an act of service for you, and that's good enough. Clearly that's not. And we're going to talk about that next week when we talk about the gift, gift of the blessing and reinforcing the way in which we do the, we, we convey a blessing to the children. But... Um, It is important for us to communicate love in all languages to the children, but really hone in on the particular ones that they have perhaps needs for. And this is where I want to end, and it is that it is critical when we're conveying love, when we're dealing with the topic of love, that we communicate love and acceptance independent of performance. Okay, if there is one thing that I could communicate, I think that that I can almost prove to you biblically, (laughs) I think I can, Um, love must be communicated independent of performance. How many of you grew up feeling like your parents only loved you if you performed? You don't have to raise your hand if you would feel uncomfortable. But if if some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you cleaned your room, if you got A's in school, if you were on the uh, all-star team, dad loved you. If you didn't, Silence. That is a cardinal sin of parenting. Love, as the Father loves us, is unconditional and needs to be expressed unconditionally. Acceptance, as the Father accepts us in Christ, is unconditional and needs to be expressed unconditionally. So when we talk about performance and, you know, Joey didn't have a good rehearsal and... You know, maybe we need to work on something that Joey didn't in order to improve performance for the next rehearsal because that's fine. 
improving performance for the next rehearsal, improving skills at first base, improving your volleyball pass, you know, improving your patience. All those things are great areas to constructively help our children guide along. Must not be coupled to love and acceptance. The child cannot hear those things together. Okay, and we have to be very intentional, in my opinion, and I'm soapboxing, I apologize a little bit, in them understanding, John, when I tell you, and I want to help correct your slider, okay, it's not because I don't love you. You don't have to do a good slider for me to love you any more or any less. I'm just trying to help you be a better pitcher. Okay, I'm just trying to help you be a better a student. I'm trying to help you learn and grow and nurture those things that God has entrusted to you so that you can grow in godliness. But you will never have to prove yourself as a pitcher for me to love you and for me to accept you. That is unconditional. John, do you hear that? Yes. Do you understand that? Yes. And we just have to reinforce that over and over and over again because it can get lost in the fray of, of, of discipline and correction and all that. So I thought I'd, I'd dovetail that one on the love uh, section. Okay, I'm, I've kind of gone a little bit over, but I think I've left a little bit of time. I want to stop here because I want to take my time with what drives you, what drives them. I think that's pretty important, and I wouldn't be doing justice to it, but we can pick that up next week. So if you come back next week and you want to be so good as to bring your handouts, we'll have some extras, but we'll pick up on the last couple. Let's, let's turn it over to group discussion, uh, questions, answers, challenges, um, what we're struggling with. Clearly, you don't want to hear me talk anymore, so be brave. Mm. What, what is it that people don't appreciate about her? She's being disrespectful. Yeah, okay. Recommendations? Others? Brandon? Right. One thing that came to mind is, you know, you could take her, for example, to... Um, to John chapter 1. I mean, this is one thing. And when it said that Jesus came, it said he came from the Father full of grace and truth. We love truth about you, whatever her name is. We love the fact that you've, you really have a, a, discerning, a discernment for truth, and that's fantastic. Um, wise man knows the proper time and procedure, and we also need to be sure that we express the grace of Jesus as well. So you, you counterbalance. But that what we really appreciate about you is this, and what I think would even make you a greater servant of God, somebody who really brings glory to God even more, is to also be able to, to remember this, whatever this is, that kind of reinforcing. Good, good stuff. Nothing else? Everybody's doing great? that you should not discipline your child against them yeah I have read that Um, uh, you you should I I guess what I would say is just simply this when you study your child and it goes beyond love languages their behavior, what drives them you know um, you ought not use that knowledge in a way to manipulate them. I'll just say it more broadly than that. Um, um, and and, um, and, and I, I can't, 
I'd probably just leave it at that. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about how to discipline apart from the love language. Um, I mean, if yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But if you've disciplined her, if you, if you have spanked her, uh, then the physical touch in terms of being, you know, and reassuring her in that love is actually what, what I think you really need to do. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's difficult when, for example, words of affirmation are their love language not to verbally correct them, right? You know, I mean, so you can only go so far, right? I mean, I think you could be sensitive to it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that you just have to use solid biblical disciplining skills, you know, and, and be tuned in to reinforcing your love. So maybe at the end of the day, what you do, being, you knowing what their love language is, is reinforce that love after the discipline using their love language as best as you can. But, but I, don't know that, I don't know that I could perfectly not discipline through their love language. And it is very um, helpful to encourage our children to, you know, whether you use the word love language or whatever, to know that people receive love differently and they need to look at the way in which people receive love and they need to meet them there because you're training them basically for their relationships with their spouse. I mean, if we look back at the way in which people talked past each other, you know, like I was sharing with my parents, there could be a lot of heartache that could be avoided if children learn this at a very at a, at a decent age about the way in which we re- choose to receive and communicate love. So absolutely more broadly than just the way we receive it. Yeah, very good. Thank you. What else? Are you guys just telling me it's time to leave? Is that what it is? Okay, so in, in, in conclusion, um, you know, there's a lot here. I'm not encouraging anyone to go take your kids and have Myers-Briggs. It's a thing to do, you know, type of thing. If it's, um, What I am encouraging folks to do is be intentional about studying their children. Study your marriage. Um, study your coworkers. Um, uh, see what it is that makes them, you know, tick, so to speak, but particularly with children... Not, you know, again, to make them the center of the universe, but to really be able to develop an avenue of communication that might not be there unless you took the time to study them. Um, and I think it will be a more, uh, uh, I just think it will be one, a, a more refreshing and valuable relationship for it. So let's close and appreciate the time. Thank you for your thoughts and for your attention. Lord, we... We thank you for this time. Um, there's a lot of stuff out here. Um, and synthesizing it and getting to the root of it and just kind of getting some core stuff down that we need to practice every single day can be very challenging. It can be overwhelming. Being a parent with all the voices out there and all the ideas and all the opinions can be very overwhelming. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice and to hear it clearly and distinctively above everything else. We thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
we thank you that you knit us together in our mother's womb from the in the and in the inmost places. We thank you, Lord, that you have ordained all the days of our lives so that you know them, and that even where we fall short, um, we we uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you will uh, come alongside of us with full of grace when we screw up. As parents, help us to seek forgiveness and cover over our sins with our children. Help, Lord, um, just our generation, uh, the children's generation, Lord, to be one full of grace and truth um, for the things that we have learned and be better for it. And we pray these things in Christ's name.